1: Each week, we hear from missionaries, ministry leaders, disciple-makers, and church planters as they share about God's work in their lives and ministries. Like us, they are ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Brian Ensminger.
0: All right, let's get started. Our guest today is the founder and president of Love Never Fails International, Since leaving the U.S., he's taught in an orphanage, helped facilitate a Jesus film ministry, and he's worked in the slums of Mumbai. It was there that God led him to found the Love Never Fails International, which works alongside the local church in India. Their goal is to rescue children from the slums of India through education and the gospel. I was really excited when Jonathan Krauss reached out to me for an opportunity to share what God's doing. So, Jonathan, welcome to the show
2: you so much it's a pleasure to be with you
0: today It's great to connect with you as well so as we start this interview i'd like to take a little bit of time to kind of get to know you so that our listeners can can know you a little bit more personally and what i'd like to do is ask you if you could maybe share a little bit more about the the way god moved you from your education in the the time of your education into ministering in india
2: absolutely well you know it started off i was a teacher i graduated college i was living out my dream you know and um i worked in an area that was highly populated with uh, indians from india and new jersey and a lot of my students used to invite me over their homes the parents would send me an indian food i just loved india i loved the culture and then one day uh some friends, a couple from church invited me over to their home and we watched slum dog millionaire. Mm. So it was from there, I learned a different aspect about India, the slums, the poverty that I had no idea about, even as a teacher thinking I had some general knowledge and, you know, um, and a good idea about this Indian culture, but I was so far off As when God was preparing me for this call and he was tugging my heart to go and to work with these people that were uh, in severe poverty living in the slums. Yeah. So, you know, it was there that uh, God started to cultivate this love and, and started to confirm the calling to go because I didn't even have any connections in India. I didn't even know where he was going to send me. So as I just continued to get on my knees and pray and said, Lord, if you can use me, then please just open up a door, Lord. Father, I'm willing to go because I see that in this world that you're number one priority for me and I want to, I want to do your will, Lord. I want to be in the center of it. So whatever it is. And, and you know, God was faithful. He, he opened up a door, but I had to take that step of faith because, you know, not everything was there. Um, But each step of the faith, each step of faith God would provide for my needs.
0: So you mentioned that uh, God opened up a door. Would you mind sharing with us a little bit of what that looked like, what that door was?
2: yeah sure as I was praying and saying Lord you put this passion in my heart to go to India and work with these kids living in the slums but I don't have any connections so um, long and short somebody uh, from a church that was friends with somebody from my church trying to connect me with a girl I was I was single and he said oh why don't you just connect maybe nothing will come out of this so we connected and we actually went on an outreach together and I met up with her and her friends so it wasn't awkward it wasn't Mm -hmm. you know just like a single date i said let's evolve it around the ministry that's where my heart was so we went to new york city and we did this thing called don't walk by and it was one of the guys that was with her who happened to be an indian guy and i got talking, and he said yeah i actually know some places out there and he gave me some contacts and uh one of them which led to the place where i first ended up going to india which was an orphanage
0: and as we think about your your life in min, in your ministry in India, there's a, a wide range of missionary experiences, everything from people who live in heavily populated, heavily industrialized areas, all the way to uh, sort of people who live in the bush, if you will. Can you share with us a little bit about what your life is like, how you get to and from work, just kind of giving us a little bit of that local flavor?
2: Sure. Uh, do you want me to go into what it was like when I started off in the village, or? Um, I can talk about what it's like now living in Mumbai Well, well why don't you talk about what it's like right now Sure. Well, I live in Mumbai, which is uh, you know the most um, densely populated city in the whole entire world. And it's just to give you an idea, uh, put it in perspective, it's twice as densely populated per square mile with people in New York City, and that doesn't count all the roaming cows and the goats running mm-hmm. in the streets and the over two hundred thousand wild dogs they estimate that are in that city. Um, so. Yeah, I I stay about forty five minutes um, outside of a main slum that I work in, but there are many slums um, you know around me. It's just that that's not where God opened up the door. So, you know, nowadays I've been blessed. I have a car. I'm able to drive to work. And, uh, you know, the police often stop you over there. So usually like once a week I'll get stopped by the police and they do these random stops. They pull you over and it's an opportunity to speak the language to them and, you know, see how much money they'll they'll try to get out of you. Uh, So that's a very different thing. It's like you pay the ticket, they give you a receipt right there and you're on your way. So I go to work. It's about a 45 minute drive. It's extremely busy traffic. You know, usually get into a couple of fender benders each week, uh, but the speed's not that fast. I haven't had any damage physically where I've gotten hurt, but my car is another story. (laughs) Um, I go into, I I drive about 20 minutes outside of the slums uh, because I just never had peace to drive my car in there as, as a foreigner, um, Mm. Uh, being that it would just not go over too well. So I, I drive about 20 minutes before I get to the slums, and then I catch an auto rickshaw, rickshaw, the three-wheel little vehicle. Mm-hmm. They drive me in, and then I get like a five-minute walk up into the center we have where the kids come. And then we have 25 kids that come in, and we give them the full gospel. We do praise, worship the kids. We encourage them to lead in the worship. Um, and I work with people to play the guitar. Uh, we sing songs songs in their language, Hindi, Marathi, and then we also do English, and we have an English uh, program where we teach them English, but in the center of all this, in the foundation, it's about teaching them about Jesus and bringing them uh, to the Lord so they, they can know their identity in Jesus Christ.
0: Have you found that your experiences with traffic and with being overseas in a place like Mumbai has caused you to reevaluate your, what, the way you used to view material possessions and things like that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, before I went to India, I was a teacher, so I wasn't rich, but by any means, I wasn't poor. I had a nice Lexus sports car. It was my dream car when I was in college, and then I got out after working a little bit, and I enjoyed my car. I took care of it, and uh, when I went over to India, it was uh, four years until I even got a vehicle because traffic was just so insane. I did have a motorcycle, but just after a couple accidents, I just had to give it up. It was just really dangerous dangerous. People don't use uh, blinkers. They don't stop Mm -hmm. at red lights. So, I just opted out for public transportation, which is a thrill. It's like a day in the amusement park with somebody's drivers over there. But then I got the car and then I have a three, I have a three cylinder car over there. It's fine for me. It meets our needs. And, um, it is definitely a lot different, you know, because before in America, I wash my car every week and I wax it occasionally and vacuum it out and go through the big car wash and you can watch the machines do it. Well, they don't have that. You know, there's no machines you can bring it to. Actually, I pay a guy $5 a month. He washes my car every day uh, where I live at with a bucket of water and a dirty cloth. But that gets the job done. I'm hmm. satisfied. So is
0: there a a meaningful quote or maybe a scripture that's been kind of the foundation for how you've approached ministry and how you've been doing it this long?
2: absolutely um there's a few if i can share them with you quickly yeah yeah of course Uh, one would be proverbs 22 6 and in the Bible says, train a child in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart. So I always think when I'm with these kids, it's not about what I can muster up and what I can think of so great to say to them. But if I can just give them God's word, then God's word will do the work. And that's where, you know, the supernatural power will come out. And the fruit will come in these kids' lives. And another thing is that I've learned from a teacher back in America, I was a teacher there for five years before I went to India, was that uh, a quote that I always remember was, and I live by, is that kids don't care how much you know. They want to know how much you care. And love is spelled P-I-M-E. So I always tried to show the kids how much I care. And I visit every kid's house. I've eaten over all their houses. I've slept over some of these kids' houses. And it was opportunities were there. But I really wanted them to see that it was more than just telling them about my God, but not showing them the love that never fails.
0: Can you share with us maybe uh, the story of a time when you faced a significant challenge or failure, something that might help us connect with uh, the reality of your situation?
2: Mm, you mean like uh, in the ministry over there in India, or are you looking for anything in particular as just being a missionary?
0: Uh, you know, I probably didn't frame that very well. One of the things that I've discovered is that uh, very often we connect well with people when when we start finding these common points of challenge and failure, even though they're not necessarily exactly the same. It helps us fight what I call the Facebook effect, where it looks like everybody else's life looks like a the... Uh, the highlight role of a movie and ours maybe looks like the blooper reel. So it helps us to kind of connect and maybe even learn from how people have gotten through challenges and failures. So it's not necessarily specific to uh, your ministry, but just a a time when you did face some kind of challenge or failure.
2: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, I, uh, when I first went over into Mumbai, I started working with the local church, and my heart was really for getting these kids in the slums and educating them because my thoughts were we can feed them but they're going to be hungry the next day. But if we educate them, then we're going to give them something, some tools to work with. And so as I came in, I started doing this, these English outreaches and we had a center where the kids came and we were teaching them functional English. But my heart was really to get them in an English school where they can go six days a week is what the school schedule is in India. And they can really start to build their English foundation and start to speak. And, you know, I faced a lot of opposition because I, My heart was for all the kids and working with the local church, you know, unfortunately, they were in poverty themselves living in the slums and they only wanted the kids from their church to get the scholarships, the sponsorship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I realized that I was new there, so it wasn't a battle for me to fight, but they came off really strong on me. And I was offended, but I wasn't turned off by it because God had already prepared me for things like this, these challenges. You know, just like... Jesus, he had to go to the cross. It was a big challenge, but he didn't turn back because the challenge was so great. It meant death. No, he went forth and it meant that there was the resurrection. And, you know, I didn't give up. And they came against me because I wanted to put these kids and, uh, you know, I took some steps and then when I saw how they were opposed to it and they only wanted their group of their kids, I kind of felt that that wasn't what God put in my heart. I wanted, you know, just because a kid was a Muslim, and they wore a burka doesn't mean they shouldn't be entitled and they didn't go to their church but maybe one day god would bring them to their church and same thing with the hindu kids so i I didn't fight them and i and i just kind of just bowed down and just humbled myself and, you know, we put a couple of their kids in and just testing out the program, how it would be to sponsor some of these kids in the slums, and it went really good. And, you know, what, the next year round, the people that I worked with, they were very open when I suggested, how about this, kids? You know, and I felt that being that I humble myself and I really tried to see their point of view and didn't try to push what was on my agenda. And they really came around, and before you know it, it was just kind of like, okay, you know, it really made things smoother. But I really had to put myself in their shoes, and and re- a lot of things I didn't understand. But just had to really humble myself and just pay my dues as the new guy.
0: That's a that's a really powerful story, uh, especially because it speaks to you having a vision from God about what what you believed He would have you do, and yet taking the time to consider the the people around you and to even. Humble yourself and go. Okay, you know I'm the new guy here, so I can't come in and do it like this. That's that's just yeah. an amazing story. Um, one more question I'd like to ask before we leave this this particular section. I, I know that you're here in the states on furlough right now. Can you share with us yeah. maybe just a little bit about what your schedule looks like?
2: Yes, uh, schedule looks like meeting with people that are supporting our ministry to give them personal updates um, you know whether it be by just uh, going out for a meal or visiting them at their home and showing them some short video clips and pictures and sharing a particular story that God has you know put on my heart and some of the fruit of our labor and some of the fruit of their support kids that came to know Christ also speaking at churches the last couple weeks um, we've visited at different churches that have supported us for some years now and giving them an update, letting them know, you know, why it's important for us to be in India as missionaries doing God's work and, uh, you know, what, what is God doing there? Uh, what is he doing new? How is he working in these areas where, you know, Christianity is, is not the majority by far, it's, it's the minority.
0: Oh, that's great. Now, for for those of you who are listening, I would like to mention that, you know, Jonathan is here on furlough, and like many missionaries, I'm certain that there are opportunities for p- additional people to become involved in what he's doing. So if you're connecting at all with him, I would like to recommend that you stop by the show notes, which would be at engagingmissions.com slash Jonathan kraus, And I'll, I'll have some links there for you to connect with him if you'd like to. Just, I, I want to make sure that you have a path to him if that's the direction that God's leading you. Now, that's going to be uh, the end of the time that we have here. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to focus a little bit more on the ministry that, John, that God has Jonathan doing.
3: Hi, this is Scott McClelland with your Leadership Minute. Today, I want to talk to you about leadership and the pattern of life. At one point, I wrote a little article about this, but it comes back up to me again here in my thoughts that we need to be careful who we look to for leadership in terms of that person having influence over our life because their pattern of life or the way that they live is actually going to be imparted to us and influence our perspective. It'll influence our perspective of reality either in the direction of what's real or away from it. Uh, In this way, Leaders define reality for those who follow them. I I first heard that, it made me uncomfortable. I didn't want to think about leadership in these terms, uh, especially if I was going to be responsible for shaping someone's perspective of reality. But I think it's true, and I, I began to see that is true for better and for worse. We look to leadership to interpret the events that are going on, people that we think see clearly and that have a good perspective on events, past, current or future, are people we look to to help us understand what we see around us. We're expecting leadership also to focus on what's important, essential things, and that doesn't always turn out to be the case. It's a it's a frightening responsibility and a big opportunity uh, for us as influencers and those who are being influenced. We need to approach the idea of our own influence with a strong degree of restraint and humility. Is the leadership that you're providing helping people see things as they are? And are the people that you're listening to helping you see things as they are? That's a good question and think for me it's one I want to keep in front of myself. Leadership and the pattern of life. Thanks for joining us today for your Leadership Minute. I'm Scott McClelland. If you'd like to contact me or us, please do so at fxmissions.com or on most social media outlets at fxmissions. Thanks, and have a good one.
0: All right, so we are back with Jonathan Krause. We've been talking about him personally. We've been getting to know him a little bit. Now we're going to take some time to get to know the ministry that God has Jonathan doing. And as we were chatting, I learned that this was actually not something that he would have pictured himself doing, uh, be, but God has shown him a few things. So Jonathan, would you share with us a little bit about sort of the path that God took to lead you to the ministry that you're, that you're doing now and some of the uh, absurd things that don't seem to match up as you share that story?
2: Absolutely. When I came into ninth grade in high school, I was just not a studious student. I ended up dropping out of school. Um, early on in the ninth grade, and uh, it was a depressing time in my life. Um, And, you know, as I look back and and I think, you know, what led me in that direction, I can't necessarily say, but I ended up taking up a a life of drugs and and smoking cigarettes and and, uh, cocaine and marijuana and things that I never thought that I would go down that path it had you backed up a couple of years and I used to read my Bible and do devotions. Um, So going back to school was beyond me, but God had a plan and it was beyond me because the plan was I, I went and I went back and I took some classes. I got my GED. I ended up getting to a community college. And then by the grace of God, I ended up getting accepted into Rutgers university. And then from that point I ended up obtaining um my doctorate degree and To even come out and be a teacher, it was just... Actually, when I got out of uh, of Rutgers in my bachelor, I had a teacher that asked me to come in as a proctor and and just help grade papers and and do some testing, and that community college ended up hiring me as an adjunct professor, which was my first job out of college, and I just think it's God's sense of humor and him giving me double for all my trouble and him just you know using my weaknesses and confounding. Um, as the scripture says that God uses the weak to confound the strong and the foolish to confound the wise.
0: Wow. That's, that's great. So we, we know that with your ministry, you are meeting the practical needs of, of people through education and that you are partnering with local churches. Can you share with us, uh, some of the specifics around the ministry that you're doing, how it is that it impacts the slums?
2: Yeah. So what, what we do is a kind of using approach to where not just going in and saying, hey, listen, uh, I'm a missionary. I want to teach you about Jesus. Come. But more or less, I heard it once said, that, oh, you Christians, we don't want you in India. And, I, and then I said, but listen, you know what? We're here to teach English. Oh. You're, you want to teach English? That's different. Come. Because English is a commodity in India, and it's, in the public schools, they don't teach English. It's a luxury. You have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And most of the families in the slums can't afford that. So us going in and saying, we're looking to teach your kids English. So they're willing to compromise on their faith, their beliefs, uh, believing that English is going to take their kids places that they never got to go. So the parents are well-intentioned and also it's kind of like this, when you go up to somebody and you wake them up from a deep sleep with a flashlight, they're probably going to be a little bit offended, Mm -hmm. but if you, You know, slowly wake them up. It's kind of like when you bring the gospel to somebody. If you just come up and just scream in their face about the Bible and the gospel, they're going to be a little offended. But when you come in with education, the guard's down. They see that you're helping the community and that you want to help the kids. So we do teach about Jesus. We don't hold anything back. And it is these kids, they all get a Bible. They get memory verses, and they learn as just like it would be in America. There's no holding back. And, um, you know, it's it's just an opportunity to be able to be there in the slums, and then it takes away some of the focus of, oh, they're just here to convert and to turn us into their religion. So I haven't mm-hmm. had that problem. I've had a couple kids where their parents wouldn't let them come anymore, they said, because it was too much Jesus. So working with the local churches, we just use that model mm-hmm. where we – are uh, working in a couple of different slums and we have one with another church uh, that we're looking to do. And uh, we just had preliminary meetings and we're looking to put that model into place where it's centered around the English, but the deep foundational roots are in the gospel.
0: And, and um, how, how many years have you been doing this now in the slums of Mumbai?
2: Is it, is it like three, four years? Uh, four years in Mumbai. And oh. I did one year in the village before Mumbai.
0: Okay. And what kind of what kind of transformations have you begun to see in the community as as a result of what you're doing?
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, I see that the kids are more open to the gospel. That when we do programs on a large scale where it opens up to uh, let's say a V D S, these kids will bring their friends. And they'll talk about the joys that they have from knowing Jesus that they never found mm. from the religion of their of their family, and you will get a couple couple hundred kids that will come out for v b s
0: mm. wow. That's, I'm sorry. Uh, I got a little bit lost in that as you were sharing that because I'm just picturing this, you know, a couple hundred kids mm. coming to VBS, some of them probably hearing about Jesus for the very first time. that yeah. <laughs> That's a powerful thing. You, you mentioned when we were talking earlier that you live about I think it's maybe 45 minutes from the place where you currently minister, but there are actually some slums closer to you. So I'm assuming that God had a way that he confirmed, you know, where it was that he was going to have you minister. How did he confirm that? How did you know that this was the place God was leading you?
2: Yeah. Well, first thing I can say is that I learned by burnout (laughs) because when I first got to Mumbai, I started working with a rather large church where they have about, 50 different slums they work in. Wow. They have a big network. A lot of them are just home churches, so it's just small out of somebody's house. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started going to uh, three different slums that they had me going and setting up this vision that I had to teach the kids English, but to get that quality time, teach them about Jesus, the Bible, sharing stories, praise and worship, prayer time. That was my trade-off. I would teach them English, but I want the joys of teaching them about what changed my life, what gives me purpose every day. And as I was traveling around this big city by train and When I first started the first year, I carried a projector and a 17 inch laptop in my bag. And if anybody here listening knows anything about Mumbai trains in India, the local train, you'll know that it is insane. I watched a documentary and they said on National Discovery and they said, on average, 10 people a day die from these trains because the doors don't close and people hang out and they go on top Mm -hmm. and it can be crazy. But as I was traveling around and a couple of the slums I worked in, I just didn't feel that there was so much favor I had in those areas. Mm -hmm. Not that I wasn't necessarily connecting um, with the kids because I felt that they were reciprocating in the love and their relationship and but i felt in the one particular slum i gravitated towards that for one there was a lot of favor there from god with the people for two they were really in need this place was just it was literally a slum with thousands of people surrounded by their own feces and sewage and everything and you know um there's something else that really drew me into this place. And it wasn't even that I was surrounded by uh, the great volunteer staff, like the other two slums. I had lots of volunteers I was surrounded by. This one, it wasn't that, you know, maybe it was uh, that there was an opportunity to kind of have a little bit more availability to do things what God is putting in my in my heart, in my mind. And then to recruit people to come alongside, which ultimately ended up happening.
0: So, as you as you're setting something like up like this up, and as you're continuing to minister, there are constantly challenges. We've talked a little bit about that, but sometimes mm. there can also be con- discouragement. Has there been anything that, as you've been facing times of discouragement, that has encouraged and strengthened you?
2: Hmm. Yeah. Yes. I would say, you know, as I look back in some of those discouraging times, which many have come, uh, it could have been a phone call back to America to a close friend that was, you know, deep-rooted in the faith, in the Lord. And they would encourage me to you know just win as many of those kids over as you possibly can, mm-hmm. you know just keep sharing those seeds, just keep planting the seeds with those kids. It was very encouraging, um, you know, and even though a lot of times I had to facilitate the phone call. Uh, because I find that when you're over there, you're, you're kind of like out of sight, out of mind when Mm -hmm. you're on the other side of the world. And in America, as we all know, it's, it's a very fast moving pace. You know, we have a lot of things going on. We have a lot of privileged opportunities that we can do. And over there, it tends to be a lot slower. Um, so I would pick up the phone and I would call people. They would really encourage me, but ultimately that, and, and then just being in the Bible and listening to those worship songs Mm -hmm. really just gave me strength. Um, those I'm thinking, you know, that's, that's probably some of the things that really helped me along that I didn't get so focused on the problems, but being focused
0: on the promises. Oh, that's good. Focused on the promises, not the problems. That's, that's, that's worth remembering right there. What is it? You know, this, this is a lot of hard work to do this kind of thing. What is it that fuels your passion?
2: Well, like you said, it is a lot of hard work. It's not an eight to skate, you know, nine to five, you're out. The work always can continue because whether it's on the mission field, ministering to people sharing the gospel, there is many times that I've had to minister to the people that give support. Maybe they're going through something. How many times I called somebody just to say hi and thank you, and they end up crying on the phone, Mm. and it's ministry right there, or putting together a newsletter, you know, which is ministry, or you know, looking into how to write a newsletter and how to make it enjoyable, and and put that information in. You know, studying statistics. Yeah. Um, so, yeah.
0: It's interesting that you had mentioned that. A few months ago, I was talking with a a guy who wrote some software to help missionaries keep track of their finances and the people that were donating. And one of the comments that he made was, a lot of times, it's really easy if you're just looking at a bunch of spreadsheets to miss that somebody hasn't given a couple months in a row. And it's not that you want to follow up with them and go, hey, why didn't you give? You want that opportunity to reach out to them and find out if there's ministry that they need. Maybe they lost a job. Maybe they're going through a rough time. Maybe there's that opportunity for you to give something back to them. I was like, what, yeah. a, what a huge perspective on that.
3: <laughs> with, mm. w-
0: with that, we are going to need to go ahead and tie a bow on this section. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to turn our focus to our listeners, to you uh, sitting there listening to this. We're going to learn from what Jonathan's learned and try and pick out some things that can help us as we minister wherever we are. Do you know a ministry leader, church planter, or a missionary who you believe would be a great guest for our show? Why not let me know about them? I rely on you and my former guests to help me find missionaries and ministers who are rock solid in what they do and how they approach ministry. I'm not necessarily looking for the proverbial rock star. Many of my guests have done things that might seem amazing, and others are heroes of the faith simply because of their faithful obedience. But all of them have one thing in common. Jesus is the absolute center of what they do and why they do it. If you know somebody who fits the bill, let me know. Send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com and let me know who they are and how I can reach out to them. And be sure to let them know that I'll be reaching out to them as well. Again, that's feedback at engagingmissions.com. And we're back with Jonathan. We just finished up talking about the ministry that God has him doing and some amazing insights there, especially about looking at God's promises instead of perspectives. I, I'm still processing that. I, I'm just so thankful that he shared it. That, that's something that I can stick in there and kind of hang on to. As we enter this last section, though, we are going to take another shift. We're going to take our focus and we're going to put it on you as the listener. I know from looking at some of the stats that I have, and you know some of the people that subscribe to the newsletter and things like that, that the majority of the people who listen to this show are here in North America, in the U.S., and they're not called the full-time missions, although they care about it. So they're people who are called into the marketplace, uh, housewives and fathers and mothers and people working jobs just like I am. So, Jonathan, as we as we enter this last section, what I'd like to hear from you is. What you might share with somebody, maybe one of your supporters or partners, if they started to let you know that they're starting to wonder if what they're doing in the marketplace really matters for the kingdom.
2: Amen. Absolutely, Brian. I'm just thinking right now, um, you know, how many of you out there consider yourself as missionaries? Well, actually, this is kind of a trick question because really we all have a mission from God. So whether it's we're called to America's missionaries who were called to a foreign country with a foreign language. It's still the same concept. And the reason why I say that is because I've had some of my best missionary work in my own backyard you know, nowadays, the Holy Spirit is bringing people from all the nations right here to America. Mm. The opportunities that we have, minus a lot of the persecution that you have to deal with. You know, even in India, there's a lot of people being persecuted now, and churches being ripped down and demolished. So a lot of times, I have to use wisdom. But when I'm over here in America, it's like I get excited mm. when I get to witness to somebody, and I'm not thinking with my Indian mind frame. It's kind of like a lot of that burdens lifted off the repercussions okay if I do this is it going to shorten my ministry in India but in America I don't feel like that so To sum it up, we all have a place of ministry that God has put us in, and whether if you are working in politics, you have a platform that I might never have, and God has put you there for a reason. Maybe you're a doctor or you work in the medical field. You know what? You might not be out in the slums, but God might not need you there because I can't reach those people over there, and that's where God has called you. A lot of times, I like to open up my newsletters and say, hope you you're impacting your part of the world.
0: Hmm. That's good. What would you share with somebody who is living here in the U.S. or in North America, and they look up one day and they're starting to realize that their next door neighbors, the people that they see in the at work, their colleagues, the people they see at the grocery store, are people from another culture, maybe even some place like India, some place where we think that missionaries go there, not a place where people come from. What would you share with them, or say me? I'm sitting here. I know that my next door neighbor is from Zimbabwe and there's a lady across the street who is from another part of Africa. So I'm, I'm certainly in this situation. What would you say to me if, if I looked up one day and I recognized, Oh my goodness, I'm surrounded by people from other cultures.
2: Absolutely. Yes. I would say learn about their culture as much as possible. How many opportunities I've had to witness to people when I come back on a furlough. Now that I've learned Hindi language and no, Samarati too, which is not so common back here in New Jersey, but Hindi is. As soon as I start talking some Hindi to them, or I start talking about different parts of India, and usually open it up very simple, you know, very much in the natural. Hey, where are you from? Are you from India? Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, which part? Oh, I've been there before. People want to open up to people to take interest in their culture. The opportunities that I've had, one time I went out to a restaurant with the family that was hosting me and started talking with the waiter. And I said, oh, you're from India, Indian restaurant? Yeah. Got talking with him. I said, oh, what oh I've been nearby there, there. Oh, how, how do you know about my place? I've been there. And I said, listen, I asked the people that were hosting me, can I invite him? back to your house for dinner one night. I'll cook. He hmm. said, sure. So we invited this guy over, and I said, this is probably the first American family we've ever been, right? He said, yes. And as I got talking with him, later on that evening, we prayed, and he accepted Jesus. Wow. And it's just the opportunities that we have, a lot of these people have never been in a home of American. They don't really know. And if we can just connect with them, that it can open up that opportunity to share the gospel.
0: And, and if somebody was wanting to start taking that first step, maybe getting to know them or um, inviting somebody over to to their house, they're wanting to start sharing the love of Christ, how would you recommend that they take that first step? What What would that first step look like? Do you know?
2: Hmm. I would say to just ask them, you know, to meet up, uh, possibly for coffee. If it's a neighbor, then you can ask them come to their home. But if it's somebody that you're just meeting out, just ask them to meet up for coffee and to just get to know the person, listen to them, find out their interest, take interest in them, let them know that you care about them as a person, pray with them, use their name in prayer, ask them what their prayer requests are, how many people mm-hmm. I've come across that said, Nobody's ever prayed for me before. Tell about the gospel. Share about the Bible with them. Many people I've met said, wow, what you're talking is like a whole new mind frame for me. I've never heard anything like this. And I've done, listen, this is the presence of God. He's speaking to you. This is from the Bible. And then i built up the relationship. And many people from other cultures are actually very interested to come to churches with us. They want to see what that's like. Mm-hmm. You know, right before I left it, from India, I brought a Hindu guy. It was his first time coming to church. He's so excited. He still talks to me about (laughs) how I brought him and how it was. And this is a big experience for these people because although it's good for us to learn their culture, they're living in America. They want to know more about our culture firsthand, up close and personal.
0: Is there maybe an internet resource or a book that you would recommend for our listeners?
2: I would say... Uh, Crazy Love by Francis Chan is really high up there. It's an amazing book by an amazing man. Also another book, it's called Radical uh, by the author's last name is Platt. I think it's David Platt. Mm -hmm. And for missionary work, um, I really enjoyed a book called People Raising by Bill Bill, uh, Bill Dillon.
0: Okay, excellent. And for those of you listening, again, I will have all of this linked up in the show notes, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash Jonathan Krauss.
1: Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Missions show.
3: I know that as, you know, we read scripture, we see that there's only two ways to live, and there's two destinations. Um, If we are living for King Jesus... Um, and if accepted Him, we will spend eternity at His right hand, where there are pleasures forevermore. And if we don't, then we will spend eternity separated Him from Him in a place that's called hell. And for me, that even as I'm thinking of it right now, it gives me goosebumps to think that there's there's people out there that um, that they they don't know Jesus and they never will know Jesus unless we tell them. And if they don't accept Jesus, then they will spend eternity separated from him in hell.
1: If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Missions show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe.
0: And Jonathan, With that, we are going to go ahead and start bringing this to a close. But before we let you go, I'd like to get maybe just one last piece of advice and a way for people to connect with you if they'd like to to learn more.
2: Absolutely. I would say take a big step of faith. However you feel God is leading, if you have peace in your heart, if you really sense that this is of the Lord, maybe many people might not agree with you. It might be such a God-sized task that people aren't going to be able to comprehend it. But take that step of faith, because God puts no limitations on faith, and faith shouldn't put any limitations on God. Mm. And is there a
0: way for people to connect with you?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I could be reached. If you visit our website at loveneverfailsindia.com, you can find information about what we do and our contact information is there. Uh, also, through email at Kraus at lovenfi.org. And also, I'm on Facebook at Jonathan Kraus.
0: Okay, excellent. Jonathan, thank you so much for being here today. This was an absolute pleasure. I really do appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brian, for everything you're doing to connect us uh, back to the people in America, and I really find it a joy to utilize your resources and for the hard work, the effort that you're doing to follow through with the mission and the purpose God has put in your heart.
0: Wow, I, I appreciate that.
1: Thanks for listening to the Engaging Missions show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. Audio editing was provided by Jeff Butterworth of Sound Paradigm Studio. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.